Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. All right, so getting into today, we're talking about conflict resolution. Um, and it's going to be, yeah, an interesting ride. I'm going to be taking a bit of a different perspective on conflict resolution. But first, I want to draw your attention to the fact that if you've ever been in a situation where two people are fighting, how awkward is it? Yeah. If you've ever been one of those people that uh, I don't know whether your friends uh, are fighting, you're just sitting there, and after a while, you're just like, the life has been sucked out of that interaction. You're like, oh my gosh, like I could just die and go to heaven right now. This is like the worst place in the world to be. I'm one of those people that gets super awkward. If people are fighting in front of me, I'm just like, um, so what about the weather? <laughs> I was like, oh, as gloomy as your faces. Oh, great. Oh. I put my foot in it and I make it even more awkward and I end up just possibly going on my phone or something. <laughs> But we've all been in there. And the thing is that um, I find it really strange because there are lots of people that are self-confessed conflict avoiders. Yeah? You can go to a person and the person will have no trouble with saying to you, yeah, I just avoid conflict. I, I don't do that. I don't go there. I don't do that kind of stuff. And it's, it's okay for people to say that. It's okay to be a conflict avoider in today's culture. But have you ever thought about it? If a person has a bad body odor, that, that, that they've got a condition, you know, or they've got flatulence and they can't hold their, their wind in, they don't go to you and they're meeting up with you and they're talking with you and say, oh, yeah, you know, I've got... I've just got bad body odor. Uh, yeah, it's just a thing, you know. It's part of my problem. You know, when there are problems in your life, you deal with it. Am I right? Yeah. But when it comes to conflict, it's like it's okay to be bad at dealing with conflict. And I think that that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible doesn't teach us that avoiding conflict is the way to go. But the Bible teaches us that we need to actually deal with it. And I love that we get to talk about it today. I'm going to start off from Mark 9 verse 50 and it says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So I've got my little prop there. There you go. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The, the, the phrase be at peace with one another can also be translated and make peace with one another. So you go into a situation with your relationships and, and Jesus is saying that your job is actually to make peace. Peace doesn't just fall out of heaven. Peace doesn't just drop in and you're like, without any understanding, suddenly everyone is happy with one another. God gives you some happy powder and, and you're like, oh, I've forgotten all about the conflict. No, the Bible teaches us that we are to make peace and all of us want peace in our relationships. Am I right? Anyone here says, peace, overrated, don't like it. I love going home and quarreling with my wife. I love going to meet up with my friend and having a shouting match. No one ever says that. We all want peace, but we have to make peace. And the way that Jesus teaches us to make peace is that he says you need to have salt in yourselves. We need to have salt in order to be able to make peace. 
following me so far? You need to have salt in order to make peace. Very easy, isn't it? So all, all we need to do, we, we, in the foil, we've got a whole bunch of little packs of salt. Just put it in your pocket and suddenly everything will be okay. You will go into every relationship and you just, I've got salt, that means I can make peace. No, 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 no. Something else is going on here. Am I right? Am I right? I know it's a bit gloomy out there, but it's happy in here. There's going to be lots of fun. I need some feedback. We need to have salt in order to make peace. So what is this salt? Why is Jesus referring to salt as such an important ingredient in making peace in our relationships? What we need to understand is that in those days, salt was a precious commodity. In fact, the word uh, for salary, what you're getting paid, comes from a Roman, a Latin word um, that, that has reference to salt. In fact, sometimes, some people say that Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. That's how important it was back in those days. And, and that's why we have this saying, a person is worth his weight in salt. It's not because a person sweats a lot. It's because the person is actually doing enough. It's a person that is worth your money. That's basically what salt um, meant in those days. And it wasn't uh, as available as we have it today. Technology uh, allows us to, to access salt really easily. But back in those days, salt occurred naturally in formations and you had to chip away at it and that's why it was a precious commodity and it was used in many different ways it was used as flavor food it was used as a preservative it was used as a disinfectant and for every man who is married here take note of this salt is also scientifically speaking an excellent skin exfoliant that means that if, you, if your wife comes to you and tells you, I want to buy that Dead Sea product that is $100 for like two grams, you say, hey, honey, I got something much better for you. <laughs> Go into your cupboard, grab the salt and say, just rub that all over you and you have the best exfoliant that is known to mankind and naturally. Great stuff. I've just saved you about $200. I expect that to be in a check written to... No, I'm joking, totally joking. But we... That salt has all those purposes, and, and, and not just in that, but it also actually had a very big uh, significance back in those days. Um, in Ezra 4 verse 14, uh, they, we had this bunch of people that were writing to the king, and this is what they wrote in their opening line. It says, now because, uh, because we eat the salt of the palace, it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Because we are eating the salt of the king's palace. To see the significance behind these words. Because I have partaken of something precious. I now have this relationship with the king. So much so that I cannot see this honor happening to my king. That is the kind of viewpoint of salt back in those days. If I eat your salt, I'm basically saying, I am by your side. I've got your back. I, I, I want to be your friend. I am on your side. Are you starting to get this sense of having salt in you and making peace is beginning to make a little bit more sense? There's something deeper going on here. And, and in fact, the Bible actually has this phrase, you can search it up, it's called a covenant of salt. Uh, God has a covenant of salt with the Israelites and it's highlighted in the passage in 2 Chronicles verse 13. And what was going on here uh, was that there was a, the Israelite kingdom was split into a north and a south. South Kingdom and the North Kingdom got angry, the South Kingdom, and mustered an army of 800,000 people. 
800,000 men to fight against the men from the south. The south, in response, managed to get an army of 400,000. So that's simple math, half. I think I said two times. Half, <laughs> simple math, half the size of the northern kingdom. But when the northern kingdom was approaching the southern kingdom, the king from the south said, hey, be warned. Because we have a covenant of salt with God who is on our side. It doesn't matter how many people you come against us with, you are going to lose. King from the north is like, I don't care about your covenant of salt. I'm going to attack. I've got twice as many men as you. You've got no chance. That day they fought and 500,000 men from the north fell. It is the largest single, slaughter, single day slaughter in the history of the world. 500,000 men fell. The, the, the northern kingdom was broken from that point on. Their the armies were broken. And it all happened because God honored a covenant of salt. Can you imagine what our marriages would look like? Can you imagine what our relationships would look like if we had a covenant of salt that was strong and durable and that it brought on the blessing of God in our lives so much so that whatever force comes against you is not going to prosper. Whatever force comes against you in your life, in your relationships, if you have salt is going to be able to withstand the test of time. And that's why I get passionate about this, because so many of us as Christians, we have Jesus in our lives, but our relationships are, are, are broken. Our friendships are not in the way that is fruitful. We don't have marriages that look like it has a smile and the blessing of God on it, and that's because we don't have salt. We need salt in our relationships. But here's a bit of a problem that G, uh, in the passage that we read from Jesus, because uh, Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, how will it gain its salt, saltiness back again? And there's a problem because any person who types in, can salt lose its saltiness into Google, you will find multiple articles about how salt cannot lose its saltiness. It is one of the most stable compounds. It is just salt. It doesn't change. It, it, it stays stable and therefore it holds that ability to be salty except under one condition. And that one condition is if it loses its purity. When salt comes in contact with water, it breaks apart, uh, apart this um, this very stable compound, and it allows impurities to come in and form bonds with it. And so when it's dried out again, it now still looks like salt, but it technically, chemically speaking, is no longer salt. It is impure, and impure salt is able to lose its saltiness. So when you see things like all-natural rock salt, it actually just means that this has a shelf life. <laughs> get, the, get the processed stuff because you get the pure stuff and it will last forever. As long as it doesn't come in contact with the water, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. And I'm wondering whether in our lives, whether some of us have lost our saltiness. Whether some of us have allowed things to enter into our lives. I'm not talking about um, 
you know, big sins. I'm not talking about things like pornography or sexual immorality. Even though those things are so important, any person can let you know that if you've got sexual immorality in your relationships, it is not going to work well. But beyond that, I want to talk about just the fact that we need to have salt in our relationships. And I hope I painted a picture of how important salt is. And so the next part of the message, I'm going to talk to you about how to keep your salt. You ready for it? One very simple way to do it. Ready for it? Got your pens ready? If you want to keep salt, you need to catch the foxes. Totally makes sense, doesn't it? All right, pack up your Bibles, go home now, go catch some foxes. To keep salt in your relationships, you need to catch foxes. And Song of Solomon 2 verse 15 says this, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. See, the context of this verse is a husband and wife. They're writing this beautiful love letter to one another. They're saying, oh, you're so pretty. Oh, you're so handsome. You've got the, uh, I don't know, uh, let's not go into detail. Uh, but there's all this stuff going on. And then suddenly the woman writes to the man and she says, catch the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. It's not a very romantic line, is it? No. What, what, is this, what is this all about? And I, I've got a little bit of a somewhat embarrassing story, but a good story for this reason. Um, and... Um, Beck and I, when we were early in our marriage days, we had a frog come into our house randomly. We, we were having a family dinner, I believe, and we got home. It's quite late, and, and Beck was wanting to go to the, the toilet, so she went to our ensuite, and she nearly stepped on a frog in our ensuite. The frog wasn't one of those little things. It was literally about that big. It was green. It was probably poisonous and could kill us at any moment. And it sat on the ground right there, and Beck nearly stepped on it, and then she jumped away, and then she looked at me. And I knew in that moment that Beck wanted nothing to do with that frog, and that I had to do something about it, even though it would probably cost my life. This frog was massive, and it was sitting on the ground, and... I had to put my MacGyver hat on. I got this bucket, threw it over the frog, and then I found some cardboard, slipped it under, and then um, I got, the, I didn't know it was poisonous. Yeah. Opened the front door, chucked the bucket as far as I could, and ran in the opposite direction. <laughs> and I'm making it sound like it was all really calm and cool. It took me 15 minutes to get the courage to do that. <laughs> and, and yeah, not very romantic at all. When your wife looks at you and says, catch that pest. And um, the thing is, though, that even though the frog was no longer in my house, we were still thinking about that frog for a long time after that. Because we did the logical thing to find out where the frog came from. All our doors were locked. All of our windows were closed. And if it wasn't closed, it had a fly screen on it. No frog that size would have been able to get into the house except from... 
the toilet. You guys are smart. We came to the same conclusion. We searched it up on Google. Can frogs come up from your toilet bowl? And, and, and most of Google said no, but we had evidence that a frog got into our house somehow. And every time we went to the toilet, we had to check every single little nook and cranny from that frog, from that frog, from that toilet, in order that we would not have a frog licking us in parts of our body that we should never know about. It took a while for us to get over it. But I also knew that if I didn't catch that frog, my marriage was in trouble. You know what I mean? And in the same way, the Bible is teaching us that there are things in our relationships, not just marriages, in our friendships, in our life, with our parents, with our children. We have got things in our life that shouldn't be there. They are the impurities that make our relationships unsalty. It makes it impossible for us to make peace because we have got no salt, because we have a fox that is in there. See, in those days, Israel, um, their, their, their geog geography allowed them to plant vineyards. It was a really interesting thing because uh, we were there in Israel a few years ago, and it is like this desert place, but there are some locations that are so fertile that they grow the best grapes and you have all of these vineyards in Israel and at the same time you had foxes around the place. The thing about foxes is that I used to think that foxes and wolves are around the same kind of a thing but I searched it up and wolves are the ones that you should be scared about. Wolves are nasty. They will come at you with a pack and they will eat up everything including yourself. Uh, probably not true. Um, but foxes they only travel in little packs of maybe two or three. And they, uh, one, one, one researcher actually wrote that it would be a strange sight for a fox to be able to stand up to a cat. If a fox sees a cat, it will run the other direction. And I think it's interesting that in um, Song of Solomon, this woman refers to the foxes as little foxes. And the word little can actually be translated insignificant and unimportant. And even though I'm here and you're probably expecting me to teach you how to do negotiation between you and a person or, or some listening skills or, or learn how to say some magic words and you'll be able to solve conflicts, I want to go a little bit deeper than that. I want to go to the root of why we don't have peace in our relationships because I do believe that whether you have salt or not, you will have uh, conflicts in your life, but the best way of conflict resolution is to be able to stand from a point of view where you're able to make peace, where you're able to be having your salt and to be able to make peace. I don't want to teach you how to negotiate. I want to teach you how to get rid of the foxes and to be able to have true peace in those relationships. And, and in that way, I want to draw a parallel between vineyards and our relationships. You see, we need to be able to see our relationships like vineyards, just like this wife in the Song of Solomon saw uh, their, their relationship as a vineyard. She's saying we need to protect our vineyard. We need to cultivate it. We need to invest into it. And that's one thing that I want you to be thinking about. In your relationships, are you investing into it? 
Are you actually putting anything into those relationships? Is it a place where it's actually bearing fruit? Or have you just got barren wastelands in your relationships? And just to think about that, uh, studies have shown that you can only really genuinely hold about three to eight close relationships in your life. You can't actually hold 20, 30 relationships that are really close to your life. So what kind of relationships are you investing in? Do you have vineyards that are important to you? Are they in the right place in your life? Do you have someone speaking into your life? Someone that you can speak into? Some uh, vineyard that is actually producing fruit? Or have you spread yourself too thin so that you don't actually have any relationship that's doing that well? You've got to be deliberate about your relationship. But even after getting a vineyard, you need to be catching those foxes. What foxes would do is that they would actually be able to, they, they were really cunning. They were really smart animals. And they would actually burrow under the walls and they'll burrow in the vineyard in order to get the fruit, in order to have a nice comfy little place to stay. And, and, and so this woman was saying to her husband, she was saying, we need to get rid of those foxes because those foxes are damaging our relationship. You see, the thing about Salt is that it represented a permanence and a strength. You use salt to preserve, you use salt to disinfect, you use salt in order to have this permanence. And in our relationships, in order to make peace, we need to have this permanence about it. But what the foxes would do is that they would weaken the foundation in order that the plant would no longer be strong. And in our lives, we need to be deliberate about picking out the foxes that are in there that are damaging the foundation of our lives. What kind of foxes do you have? What kind of things are actually getting into your life and are actually weakening uh, that, that place? You need to understand that quite often we see these foxes as insignificant and small. But what I've learned through my experience in my life is that if you don't deal with the small things, it becomes big things. One of the problems with our relationships is that it is more about feeling than about a commitment to permanence and strength. One of the things about our marriages in today's society is that it's all based on the emotion of love rather than the commitment of love. And so what happens is that when there's a problem that is brewing, and I don't know why it is the case, but Many times it's the woman that senses that something is wrong. But one of the things about women as well that they don't know how to articulate what is wrong in a way that the man will understand. And Beck and I have had this for many, uh, the, 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 the first few years especially. Actually, it's only three years, so uh, still an uh, ongoing process. But there will be times where Beck knows that something is wrong. It is in her gut. She knows that there is something not quite right, but she's not able to say it in a way that I can easily understand. So it's in her mind, and it's like she's dwelling on it. And I can see from her facial expression, I can see from the way that she's going about her day that there's something that is troubling her. But when I talk to her about it, the problem is that she is shutting down that conversation because she thinks that it's too small and insignificant. She thinks that she can deal with it. And quite often what the guy does is that is way too much trouble to dig in and try to find out what's going on. This is going to be the next couple of hours of my life that just sitting down and trying to work out girl talk. 
And society has not helped us because they keep telling us that we will never truly understand one another. So they teach you how to stay in your own alone zones rather than teach you how to have conversations to deal with the little foxes. And the other thing that I've learned in my life is that it's not so much the approach, not so much the way that I talk about things, but it is that genuine commitment to catch those foxes that truly matter. The first few times I was clumsy. I was accusing her of holding secrets. I was accusing her of being hard to deal with and hard to live with. And we got all of those issues going around but at the end of the day there was a commitment to catch the foxes no matter how small and insignificant they are and this goes into your friendships as well if you have a friend who who just shuts down and doesn't let you in is that something that you are just going like oh that's that person's problem and walking away that is insignificant that is not something that I really want to deal with Or are we in a genuine community where we are able to talk things out and to catch the little foxes? What kind of commitment do you have to fox catching? But even after catching those foxes, we got another step to think about. Just like me throwing that frog out of my house didn't mean that the whole saga was over. We needed to mend the walls that the foxes had come in by. We needed to find those places that potentially allowed the frog in. And this is where conflict resolution is really at its most key. Because I can teach you how to deal with a situation, but the more important problem is that if you've got a system that is failing, those situations will keep coming back. Does that make sense? If you got a situation where you know how to diffuse the anger of a friend or a spouse, but you don't deal with the biggest system that is actually uh, uh, the root cause of what's going on, you might deal with that situation. But a few weeks later, a few months later, I guarantee you those foxes will come back in again. I'm not going to teach you about negotiating a situation. I'm going to teach you about building a system that keeps the foxes out. And so we need to learn how to rebuild the walls of our relationships. And the simplest way for me to explain this is that this is how you build walls. The Bible is actually so practical and holds so many principles for our lives. And because we are not putting them into action, we have relationships that are failing. We have relationships that are being torn apart by the little foxes because we're not building the right walls. And, and to give you some examples, for example, between parents and children, and, and in fact, all of these little examples I've got, if you go home and you read Ephesians 4 to 6, it actually teaches us a lot about different relationships and, and godly principles for building walls around our vineyards, around our relationships. And in and, 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 um, uh, Ephesians 6, particularly talks a lot about the parent and child relationship and it says honor your father and mother easy children that should be a wall that you're building around your relationship with your parents honor your father and mother what does that look like you got to work it out I can't tell you a one-size-fits-all answer. I don't know what your relationship looks like. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what fruit is supposed to bear. But if you want a healthy parent-child relationship, you need to honor your mother and father. For me, I remember there was a time in my life where, where, where God was starting to put this on my heart. I need to learn how to honor my parents better. 
And in the, the way that God practically showed me what that meant was that it's easier for me to change than for me to expect my parents to change. And I started to see that I wasn't honoring my parents because I was pushing them to do the things that I wanted them to rather than allowing myself to be more flexible and, and putting my life around this. Honor means putting them in a higher regard in my life. And the moment I put that in place was a moment that conflict began to drop between me and my parents. It's as simple as that. Think about it. Talk it through. And on the other hand, maybe parents, you need to understand that the Bible also says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. You might think that you're winning a, a, a battle, but you're actually, in, a, in effect, losing the war. You might be able to nag your child to be able to do something, but if you are provoking them to anger, you are tearing down a wall that is going to allow foxes to come in. And now, hear this out. Think it through. If you've got a three-year-old kid, I'm not saying to not provoke them to anger because they just don't have any boundaries, and that's your phase of life. But you need to think through, for your life, what kind of walls you need to build according to the Word of God. Amongst our friendships, Ephesians 4 talks about speaking the truth in love to allow people to grow. I believe that that should be one of the hallmarks of our relationships. Where you see, I think there's a picture of some vineyards. Caleb, if you can find it. Yeah, there we go. Those are walls. Actually, this is actually in Israel. And uh, it's a nice picture that I found. But we need to have walls that, you know, you can see. That's a good vineyard. And one of the hallmarks of friendships that last the distance is that you speak the truth in love. And we spoke about this in week one of the series where we were talking about not building for likes, but building for the future. Are you building a wall that is going to last the test of time? Or are you building holes into your wall to allow foxes to steal the fruit from your relationships? You need to think about these things. I'm not giving you any quick fixes. I'm not giving you any quick answers. There is no secret pill to having peace in your relationships. But if you start to put these principles in place, where you think about those little things that you thought were insignificant, and you start to deal with them, and then you start to close the gaps in the walls around your vineyards, that's going to allow you a purity in your relationships. And it'll allow you to have salt that will allow you to make peace. I'm sick of people living in relationships where they're just in it for themselves and they're tearing it apart. And you're just kind of walking out of those situations completely deflated, completely lacking in energy. Because what I've learned is that conflict is actually a sign that you've got a hole in your wall. And because I've taken that perspective in my life that when something is not right, I've got to learn where the root of that issue is. It allows me to approach the conflict not as though it's something for me to avoid, but it's something that will allow me to understand where there are faults in the foundation of this relationship. It allows me to approach the relationship in a way that, that we can talk this through, we can work it out, and in the future when such things come up again, we already know how to deal with them. It allows you to deal with conflict even before it happens. 
It's a long-term view of conflict resolution. It's a view that will take you past just the now. There are going to be awkward conversations. There are going to be times where you're going to have to say something that the person is not going to enjoy. But if you are putting it through the filters of the Word of God, building on the principles of the Word of God, I'm going to speak the truth in love. That relationship is going to be the better for it. That relationship is going to be healthy, is going to thrive because the foxes can't get to the grapes anymore. That is a commitment that I'm asking from people here. At Live Church, we want to do relationships differently. We're not in it to build for ourselves. We're not in it just to have a good time. We want relationships that together we are stronger. Together we're actually building for uh, kingdom purposes where we are living larger than ourselves. We're not just living for the weekend. We're not just living for a high. We're living a life on purpose. We're living a life on mission. We're living a life full of meaning. And that is what I want our relationships to look like. Because the other way uh, is that we just have barren wastelands in our life where you're just getting uh, injections of the Spirit to make yourself feel better, but your life never changes. You just go home and you crash after the high and you go back into those, re- uh, into those relationships that are broken and there's no purpose in it. This is not a pep talk. This is not to make you feel high. This is to make you understand that there are principles that are found in the Word of God that will change the way that you see relationships and change the way that you do your life. To finish this morning, I want to talk about one relationship that I think that all of us can do better at building at. And that's our relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship that because God is so great, because he is so good, I know that as myself as a Christian, sometimes I go to God and, and I expect that relationship to be perfect. I expect that relationship with Jesus to be pure because it's Jesus that we're talking about. But the thing about Jesus is that he works with us. He works with me. He doesn't take over my life, but he chooses to yoke himself to me, which means that my gear, my stuff, my perspectives, my walls around my relationships, the principles I live my life on, is what filters my relationship with Jesus. And I do believe that we need to build a relationship with Jesus that is based on the Word of God. And that's why we keep telling you to read the Bible, because there's no way in the world I can preach enough sermons to cover the whole Word of God. But every day in your life, you are able to get that little bit more into your spirit, into your soul, to build a relationship that is lasting. And we can get the band up, I just want to talk about one principle that you need to build your life around with Jesus. And that is the principle that God loves and accepts us. That is a wall that we need to build around our relationship with Jesus. Because too many people come to Jesus and they think that they need to earn his love and they need to earn his acceptance. When the truth of the word of God is that even while we were sinners, God loved us and demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross. 
That is a principle that you must build in your relationship with God. If you do not have that relate, uh, if you do not have that wall, if you do not have that principle, then your relationship with Jesus is going to fluctuate. It's going to be up and down. When you're doing well in your life, you love Jesus, but when you're doing badly in your life, you're running away from Jesus because you're so scared about whether He still accepts you. You think that Jesus is so holy and so pure and so great that whenever you make a mistake, you don't think that Jesus can handle that. But the Word of God says there's therefore now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. The foundation and the principle of our relationship with Jesus is not what can I bring to the table, but it comes from a point of Jesus has already taken your sin. Jesus has already dealt with your shame. And now He's accepting you. And through His grace, you are able to live out the life that He wants for you. So this morning, if you're in a place where your relationship with Jesus is broken, where your relationship with Jesus has been built on the wrong principles, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and He's saying, let me in. I love that the Bible promises us, it promises us that He will never leave us or forsake us. I love that the Word of God gives me a confidence that even though sometimes I don't feel it, I know that God still loves me and accepts me. See, one of the most important things for bringing salt into your relationships is that you first need to go through a process of renewal with Christ Jesus. He's the only one that can truly make you pure. He's the only one that can actually get into your life and give you the grace to overcome all the issues and problems that your life gives you. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.